Hello and welcome to episode four of States of the Matter podcast from the Institute of Refrigeration's Women in RACHP. I'm Karen Perry and as always here with me to co-host is Lisa Jane Cook, our new chair of the network. As we continue our theme discussing and addressing subjects affecting the industry's women, this episode we welcome women's leadership coach and trainer Carla Miller. A keynote speaker and gender equality consultant, Carla is also a best-selling author of Closing the Influence Gap. We're addressing the subject of imposter syndrome with Carla and why some women suffer from such self-doubt in their careers. Carla, welcome and thanks for taking part in the podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our chat. I did hesitate a little bit over referencing imposter syndrome as a term as it felt quite a neg- maybe negative connotation to it. But I guess it is something that has quite a f- an effect on women in their careers and something that we are talking about more and more now. Yes, I mean, I think we all know the term imposter syndrome. So it's become a sort of shorthand for a variety of different experiences and feelings. I tend to talk about imposter feelings and self-doubt because imposter syndrome, we A, tend to think about as feeling like a fraud and like we're going to be found out. It's also, there are very few syndromes that are seen as positive things to have, and they tend to be thought of as permanent things that you have as well, whilst imposter feelings very much come and go for most of us, depending on what's going on in our life or in our working life, um, we can experience a lot more of those feelings. And I think it's broader than that. What I talk about is imposter feelings and self-doubt, because I think that's what a lot of the women that I speak to are experiencing. They might not all feel like a fraud, but they definitely doubt themselves much more than their abilities would warrant. That's actually, I, I do find that really interesting. Um, and like Karen, I was probably a little bit nervous about approaching that topic with that title as well, because I've seen a lot of backlash on LinkedIn in recent months where women are telling other women that they don't have imposter syndrome, that they they literally have this self-doubt. So yeah, it was a bit of a like, oh, how is this going to be received? So it's it's really good to see it from that point of view. I think as well that there's quite a lot of criticism of the term on LinkedIn because there's the assumption that we're saying there's something wrong with the women and not recognizing what's happening with the environment. And I'm always very clear to say that I think the reason that women doubt themselves in the workplace more than men do is absolutely due to the fact that our confidence has been damaged by gender bias. And not just gender bias that we experience daily in the workplace, and we can talk about that, but also the fact that we're brought up in society to behave in a certain way. That's how women behave. That's the expectations of us. And then we go into the workplace and the two don't match becoming a successful leader and what we're taught about being nice all the time, putting other needs, other people's needs first, not stepping into your authority. All of those, there's lots of mixed messages going on so I very firmly believe that women experience it more than men because we are facing additional barriers in the workplace and I guess a little bit of self-doubt can sometimes be a good thing as long as you keep it in check really but I guess in a new job or a new role actually it makes you probably try a little bit harder to achieve yes I mean I think that's the other thing is that we don't need to shame ourselves for having self-doubt or imposter feelings I speak to lots of people about their inner critic that negative voice in your head and I'll be on the phone to them and they'll say but mine is super super loud and then they feel like that means there's something wrong with them (laughs) I'm like I think all of us have super loud inner critics at points in our lives but it's totally normal all of these feelings are totally normal Um, but what we want to do is get to the point where they are not running the narrative in our head all of the time and get to the point where we can recognize all there's some self-doubt coming up there there's some imposter feelings do I want to listen to those thoughts and act on them or do I just want to forgive myself for having them and focus on something that makes me feel better about myself so first of all we all have it so let's not beat ourselves up for that secondly yeah it can be a good thing if you're someone who needs a bit of a kick up the bottom in order to motivate yourself if you're someone that needs the stick rather than the carrot then imposter feeling self-doubt can act as a strong motivator for you I tend to work with very conscientious women they want to do their best they can't think of anything worse than making a mistake or being judged for that and for them it just impacts their confidence negatively it stops them from applying for roles it stops them from speaking from speaking up even though they know that what they have to say is valid and valuable they 
talk themselves out of speaking up in meetings, for example. So I would say for most of us, it's something we don't want to get out of control, but we just need to accept it's part of the human experience and learn some tools, which is what I'm here for, really. Learn some tools to help you get it in perspective, get those thoughts in perspective and choose whether you want to listen to them or not. It's very easy to have doubts like that as well when you work in an environment where it's male-dominated, and that's obviously where we are in our industry, engineering has a very low representation of women but actually refrigeration is way down on the national average of engineering as a whole and I have worked in situations where women there's sort of two ways that you would get labeled you're either labeled as a liability you know why is she here she doesn't know what she's doing she's a risk to the business or if you are very successful and you have that confidence and you've built your knowledge and you've worked your way up to a position you're then labelled as perhaps aggressive or intimidating. So you've, you've almost, by getting that success, removed what we would see as sort of those feminine qualities. So while you may well be a very good leader, I feel sometimes some of the men in that environment feel threatened and thus you get labelled as aggressive and intimidating. It, we are in a really, really hard situation. For a start, there's a whole load of language that is only used to describe women in the workplace, not men so emotional demanding other words I don't even really want to repeat to be honest and but there's lots of studies that show that we receive different feedback from men um, and that the language used to describe us is different as well there's also a lot of studies and my favorite book on this topic is called The Authority Gap by Marianne Seagart she's written a whole book about the fact that basically as women we have to prove that we're competent in order to be taken seriously. And with men, it's literally the opposite. And this is because we've grown up in what is essentially still a patriarchal society where men's opinions are valued more than ours. And the workplace was designed for men, by men, and in your particular sector is still very much dominated by men. And we are all naturally drawn to people that think like us, talk like us, act like us. It makes us feel good about ourselves to promote people like that we can see their potential and so when you have any group that is dominant you then find that other groups are not taken as seriously they're not heard as much so for example women get interrupted 50 percent of the time that they talk in meetings and 90 percent of those interruptions come from men now obviously if you're surrounded by women you wouldn't experience that quite so much and women do interrupt other women as well but it's basically interesting to note that when women interrupt men we are judged harshly for it when when men interrupt women they're seen as contributing to the conversation and what I think is fascinating is that I experienced lots of this when I was earlier on in my career but I didn't recognize it was happening that was just the world of work to me and it's only the last couple of years when I've really educated myself on this and realized how many invisible barriers we're facing. I, I always describe it as being like you're you're on your career journey and you're on a bike. Um, and men and women, we're both on bikes and we're going up and down hills. But men have got electric bikes and they don't even realize it. So yes, they're still pedaling. Yes, they're still working hard, but they're getting so much further for their efforts. Meanwhile, we're puffing along at the back. And so when you do get women who are equally senior to men, can you just imagine how much better we have had to be in order to get to that level? And I think just opening our eyes to that as women is useful because it can then make us realize, oh, actually, we've been thinking that people aren't listening to us or taking us seriously because we're not good enough and we just need to work harder. And actually, it's not that at all. It's that gender bias exists in men and women's heads. This isn't something men are doing to us. It's a societal problem. So that exists. And I think the other thing is men need to understand this as well. And one of the things I do is run a male allyship workshop which is about helping men to understand the invisible advantages they have and the really small practical steps they can take to help level the playing field a bit. I think it, it is really good to think about it like that as well because I often would maybe seek for reassurance that I'm doing a good job or that I've done a good job and maybe often men don't do that as much that some men are already they know they're doing a good job or they they already feel it themselves whereas I think Sometimes maybe we do need more feedback or to just to be told that you've done something, something well. Yeah. Well, when you're being 
man interrupted or he peated where you make a point and no one pays any attention and then a man makes a point and everyone thinks it's the best point that's ever been made or when you're in a meeting where men are taking up most of the airspace so in your typical meeting unless women really outnumber men significantly the average woman gets 30 to 40 percent less airspace than the average man in the room so that's what we're experiencing on a daily basis and we get challenged more when we do speak that so that would make you want extra reassurance when you have contributed a challenging point or when you're thinking of doing that or when you want feedback on your career so i think it's, it's a completely natural response to the environment that we find ourselves in i think i've certainly noticed it more now using platforms like zoom or or for zoom meetings that yeah you do find sometimes you are kind of sitting there with the hand going up um, waiting to speak at the right time or trying to find a gap in a conversation that doesn't always happen and I've probably been guilty of sometimes going do you know what I just I can't be bothered I'll just leave it I think lots of us do. I mean, in a way, it's almost easier online because you've got you can put your hand up, you can unmute yourself, you can put in the chat box. There's a point I'd like to contribute Mm -hmm. here in person. We physically take up less space and less energy in the room. And there's really only one you can you can use your body or you can use your words. You haven't got nice little tech to help you as well. But when you're in a Zoom meeting, you can do that. Like you said, sit back and kind of notice what's going on. A little bit more because you're a bit more detached and then you can recognize oh how am I going to get a word in here it's interesting as well like Karen's saying about that reassurance I have been working for the company that I'm working for at the moment for about a year and a half now and um for me I've had to get sort of like a behavioral adjustment because I'm used to being almost micromanaged in my previous roles where I would have to report to my manager like every day like what are you doing where are you going and the management team that we've got now don't need to do that they have a really good trust in all of us and that has been really difficult definitely in the first six months I'd be messaging my boss saying when am I going to speak to you and he's like what's the matter and I'm like no nothing you know just just to catch up and he's like we don't need that and I think that is you know because the company that I work for has got a very progressive attitude towards diversity and we've built some really strong teams through embracing that but I've spent 22 years previous to that working in in companies that really weren't like that so we've all got to try and change our behaviours as well, haven't we, in the way that we're thinking about what we're doing and have a little bit of trust in ourselves. Yeah, I talk about learning to validate yourself. And this isn't just a woman thing. It's a human thing. We're always seeking other people's validation. Um, in Buddhism, they call it trying to feed the hungry ghost, basically, in that we, we need other people's validation. But when we get it, it still doesn't actually make us feel better. And like we belong in the way that we hope it will. And that's because that validation has to come from ourselves. We have to know that we're good enough and we have to know we're good enough as people, whether or not our work is perfect. I think many of us attach our value and our worth as a person to how good our work is. And so when there are mistakes or things could be better, rather than seeing it as, oh, that piece of work needs improving, we translate it as, oh, I need improving. I'm not good enough. I need to be better and that's one of the things I work on within my Be Bolder program is noticing when we've got some beliefs about ourselves or about work that are holding us back and helping us to reframe them and we do we all have them I run my Be Bolder confidence course I run a gender neutral version as well we've just started running it in organizations with men too and it's really interesting how actually when you give them a safe space to talk about it, men have the same experiences. Uh, I'm not sure they have them quite to the same extent, but the ones that adopted onto this course were sharing that they doubt themselves as well. And they have unhelpful beliefs about themselves too. And is it that women openly talk about those feelings more as well as experience them a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all human. So we all experience self-doubt. I do believe women experience it more in the workplace. For years, the study said that it was equal. And then the last few years, studies have started saying women experience it more. But I think we all need a safe space to be able to talk. And I think when we do talk openly, then we realize it's not just us experiencing it. That's what I love about bringing groups of women together, is that by the end of the first session, I'll say, well, what's your takeaway from this call? And some, so many people will say, I'm not alone. I realize I'm completely normal. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. Um, Just from realizing that we're sat there comparing what I call our messy insides to everybody else's totally sorted outsides. And then we talk to them and we realize they've got messy insides as well. And so do men. I mean, 
I think from anecdotal experience, the women I've coached, about 90% bring up self-doubt and imposter feelings and 10%, it just wouldn't occur to them to doubt themselves. With men, it's 50-50. So 50% of them just would not in a million years doubt themselves. And the other 50% really do struggle with imposter feelings. So maybe it just depends on what experiences you've had in life and in the workplace. Um, So can we ask you a little bit about your career so where you started to where to where you've come to because I think you've had quite a really interesting career yeah I'm happy to talk about that so uh, my background is in the charity sector in fundraising and by 29 I was in senior leadership roles managing large teams um, responsible for millions of pounds of income and expenditure budgets and I was spending my time in boardrooms with people who are on average at least 20 years older than me um some of them 30 40 years older than me many of them men and I did find I was consistently underestimated for being a young woman and that I would find it much harder than some of the older and male people around me to get my voice heard and so I had a lot of that self-doubt and imposter feelings even though I was getting these great results we would raise millions of pounds for fantastic causes in the charity sector But because my impact wasn't being valued equally, I found that really challenging and I felt really alone in that. And that's really why I ended up writing my book for me and my first management position and me and my first director role and me and my first chief exec role when I just felt like I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. And I just wanted to be as good as I could and also just feel good at what I was doing. So I felt really alone. But now, obviously, I've coached so many people that I recognize I'm not alone in that at all and I also like I said didn't recognize that gender bias that existed so I personalized it I made it all about me basically now I was lucky in that I got a coach who helped me work on my confidence but also helped me recognize I needed to learn to influence others and I've become really passionate about this as well we can be fantastic at leading our teams but if we can't get our peers and the people above us to take us seriously value what we and our teams bring then it's really hard to progress in our careers and just do our jobs as well as possible. So I learned how to influence more effectively. I built my confidence um, and from there my career developed. So I've been chief exec of a tiny charity called Tiny Tickers for babies with heart problems. I made a detour into recruitment and ended up as managing director of a recruitment company within a year, leading a team of people who taught me how to recruit in the previous year so that was really interesting and they were actually fantastic people and I had to completely adapt my leadership style because it was very different from fundraising where I totally knew my staff to this where actually I was great at rebranding and getting new clients but they all knew more about recruitment than me and so we took a much more collaborative approach there and that worked really well Um, and then I spent years as a freelancer well interim basically and consultant um, working with boards I trained as a coach quite so a couple of years after my first director role, and I did that part time for a long time. So I've been coaching for 13, 14 years now. Um, and then just really focused the last couple of years on working with women when I started bringing these groups of women together and going, oh, there's something really magic about bringing groups of women together, creating a safe space and watching them connect with support and empower each other. And that's what I love to do now. So I'd like to think I don't have too much ego and that when people come on the courses they will learn from me but they'll learn more from each other than they will from me and so I try and create lots of space for them to talk to each other basically so yeah a a varied career and it's I've always wanted to make a difference and do something that helps people and I've found a new way of, of doing it through coaching over the last decade or so. It sounds to me like writing your book probably helped you with a lot of your your self doubt. And so apart from us all going to write a book, what are the maybe some hints and tips that you could that you find help to combat the feelings? So a couple of things. First of all, make sure you're not shaming yourself for having those feelings in the first place, because that doesn't help. And then I think it starts with the beliefs that we have about ourselves. So some of the common beliefs that come up, um, I call them the five I musts. So there's that feeling of I must be perfect. I can't afford to make a mistake. Or I must be right. I must be 100% sure I'm right before I speak up. I must be liked. And so I find it hard to have difficult conversations or set boundaries. I must be more. So you're sat there comparing yourself to someone else and going, I should be more like them in some way. Or I must say yes 
Um, and I think lots of us are overloaded from saying yes a lot. So one of the things we do in Be Bolder is we look at those and work out which ones are, which are the scripts that you're running in your head um, and what are the consequences of that and how can you create a new script to help you with that? We call that reframing your beliefs. So of those ones I talked about, do we, any of those resonate with the two of you? I remember talking about imposter feelings a long time ago when I became a senior manager within my company. And I think like Lisa Jane as well, in a good space at work where we are with quite a diverse mix on senior management of male and female. But I remember kind of thinking that I I described it as feeling like I wasn't just toppling on a mountain and it could all just fall apart because all of a sudden I was in a a really a key role within our business, which I'm sure everyone does feel. But I think through hard work, and you're right, it is about trying really hard and making that effort to to make sure everything's right as well. But I certainly work with colleagues and no colleagues that have that real self-doubt and have tried something and then been told, well, that's wrong. I wouldn't have done it like that by a male and then totally backed off and just thought, oh, well, I'm not very good at this, so I'll leave it. So I think as you talk within your program as well about it's good to have peers and colleagues that you trust and can check things with so that you someone that's going to support you and make you feel a little bit more positive about what you're doing and not saying it's wrong, but actually, why don't you frame it slightly differently? So I would always try and help people, I think, in those sort of scenarios as well, so that they do keep going and not just give up. I love that you're supporting them like that. How about you, Lisa Jane? Did any of those resonate with you? Um, I mean, I've always been fairly confident, actually. Um, I always knew that I wanted to lead and I'm not quite where I want to be yet, but I'm, I'm sort of getting there. So I've, I've not really had those things. But I think for me, I do have moments where I have that self-doubt, but I suffer with anxiety. So when that hits, that's usually when I'll, I'll take that dip. And it's at that point that I do need to, it is some self reassurance so I, I need to spend a lot of time in preparation and then when I know that I'm fully prepared for something then I can kind of regain that confidence if that makes sense really and and that's a, that's a really practical way to address it and I think we can do both I think we can look at our mindset and also we can take really practical steps to make it easier so for example when we're talking about lots of people when they're in their first management roles want to be liked want to be nice I know I did I'd had terrible managers some of them some of them would make me cry regularly and so I just wanted to be the opposite of them um and so to me that was being really nice but I was being so nice that I wasn't setting clear boundaries and expectations I wanted to be liked and that had consequences for the people working for me actually I mean some of them were fine because they were great at their job but there was one of them who probably wasn't in the right job for her but when I would sit down and explain what needed to change I wouldn't do it in a tone that made her realize this needed to be taken seriously um, and six months in the end of her probation period my director called me in and said how's she doing doesn't look like it's going fantastically and I said well I'd like to extend her probation period to give her more chance to improve and my director who was quite cutthroat was like no you see the best of someone in their first six months that's it and so I had to fire her that day um, and she cried I cried it was just a terrible terrible experience and while she wasn't in the right fit for the role actually it was really on me that I had put my own need to be liked and to be nice ahead of the fact that actually my job title came with authority and responsibility to get things done and I had to have some of those challenging conversations with her in a firmer way and so I've never made that mistake again now I'm very clear on what are the expectations that I have of people and I'm very good at holding people accountable none of that kind of you delegate something to someone and then you have to chase them to see how it's going because they haven't come back to you and then they go oh well this was a priority so I didn't get that done and you go oh okay never mind and then you do it for them which I think is what many women that I work with do it's definitely what I did for a long period of time and so it's being we never want to make people we never want to shame people or make it really uncomfortable, but we also don't want it to be super comfortable to come and say, oh, I haven't done that bit of my job. And I think it's that that for me is those are the challenging conversations, kind of stepping into that authority that comes with your role. And so I talk about it's just using a simple visual tool to help with that. So the time when the, I was dealing with all of this, the Harry Potter films were on at the cinema, very much aging myself. <laughs> and 
Harry Potter had a cloak of invisibility and when he put it on no one could see him and I was like oh I feel like I need a magical piece of clothing myself and so I recognize I might not have natural gravitas, natural authority. I always looked young. Um, I was young in my role as well. I was fairly softly spoken. No one was just going to listen to me as much as they would listen to an older man, for example. But my job title came with authority. It was my job to have those conversations. And so when I would go into those conversations, I would imagine putting on my cloak of authority that was my job title. And I would just go in. I would speak more slowly. I'd allow more silence. Um, I wouldn't be justifying everything I was saying. Um, I would use more concise sentences. It just enabled me to show up differently. And now I think there are thousands of women out there using their cloak of authority. And for some people, it looks different. For some people, I've got some clients, for example, for whom actually they power dress in order to have those meetings. Like they've got a particular red lipstick or a red top that they like to wear in order to kind of step into their authority for others, they've pictured this really amazing piece of authority clothing. But the studies show that things like that and affirmations actually give us a sense of agency, a sense of control over a situation. And that allows us to show up differently. So that's that's one of my favorite little practical tools you can use. I think I'll be using that. I like that idea. Yeah, I think I, it's just recognizing that our job title has authority and we can claim it just as much as men do. We're just trained by society to be much more comfortable with taking on responsibility than we are taking on authority. And actually, men find it challenging to have women in authority, which is exactly what you were talking about earlier, Lisa Jane, in terms of when you see women succeeding as leaders, they still won't be taken as seriously by men. And men will label some of them as well because, and I'm not talking about all men, but many men will still find it challenging. And that's not a conscious choice they've made. It's just how they feel. It just doesn't fit with their idea of how the world should work. I noticed, yeah. Carla, and it's nice to listen to them as you're talking, words that I would probably use is being direct mm. and things like that almost have a negative, you know, oh, she's too direct or she's not direct enough. But it's almost as you speak, we totally avoid any words like that. And it is is more about having authority and your job role and, and being clear with people, which I actually really like. Whereas I think like you, when you do have to have conversations with people that might be quite difficult, it's not negative. It is your job and it is your position to make it clear with them expectations as well. So it's not just about being too direct or not direct enough. Absolutely. And I always think it's, it's so frustrating that we have to learn to navigate the workplace, that we just can't show up completely unedited in the way that men can and succeed. And that absolutely needs to change. And I hope by having more women at the top of organisations, that will change. But we also need to consciously change the narrative so that being direct is just as acceptable for a woman as for a man. And it actually, it just means being clear. But what I've tried to do is go, OK, well, until we change the workplace, how do we navigate it in a way that is authentic to us because we don't want we don't want to act like men we don't want to out men the men and actually we will be judged negatively for doing so by the men and by other women so instead for me it is like you said like finding that middle ground where you're using language that works for everyone you're using a tone that has authority without being abrasive and I think we, we all find our way to do that. But what I've tried to do in the book is basically pop that all in the book. Phrases you can use that are assertive without being or without getting you labelled demanding. Now, I would love it if we could just be demanding and have no consequences, but we can't. <laughs> so or equally demanding to men, maybe. So the, the book tries to give lots of those phrases and, and terms so that we can speak up without diminishing what we're saying. Another way in which we do it is. When we have to make a challenging point in conversations, we often do what I call caveat it. It's also called qualifying statements. So we might say, I might be wrong, but, or I'm not sure, or I just think maybe, or correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, maybe we're going in the wrong, maybe I'm taking us off in a tangent here. We quite often use phrases like that before we make a point. And we're doing that for a reason. We're doing it because we don't feel like it's completely safe to just make our point. We feel like it won't land in a way that we want it to land. We're so apologising, aren't we, I think, before we've yeah. even spoken. Exactly. And what actually all of those phrases say, and this is the opposite of what we want them to say, but all of them say it's probably not worth listening to me on this. I'm not even sure about this. And actually, we are sure. We know we're not wrong. We don't think that it's a silly question. 
we just have to find a way to soften the point that we're going to make in order to make us feel safer and to make it be received and so the book provides alternative phrases you can use for that and the other thing we do is that thing at the end where we shrug and say that's all from me or we say does that make sense um when we know it makes sense or we just kind of tail off and don't really fully finish our sentences (laughs) I do the does that make sense quite a lot I do the tail off definitely (laughs) I recognize that and so I always encourage people if you're someone that does the tail off to just imagine make your make your last sentence and then just imagine a full stop and take a breath and that just signals okay I finished now you know make some kind of body movement that says right I've finished without doing the shrug stop looking at me pass on to someone else quickly thing and just then you can say any reflections on that or I'm happy to take questions on that or anything that feels empowered um, and also opens it up for discussion so um we talk quite a lot on the podcast about role models. Um, in, in, in engineering, we tend to find that women in roles within engineering, technical roles, usually have a, a female role model. Would you say you had a role model when you were sort of younger, somebody that you always looked up to and thought, you know, I, I really like what they're doing or, you know, I want to be like them? Um, or did you literally just find, find your way? Because you really have had quite an incredible journey. And if you've found that drive yourself, I mean, that's that's just... Wow. I think it was a mixture of the two. And I love that question. So yes, in my first few jobs, I had terrible managers, like I said, and actually, I was like, I don't know if I like working, right? I don't think I'm made for the world of work. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's had that thought in their 20s of like, isn't there an alternative to working? Because I'm not very good at this. And then I had I worked for this great director, who actually is the one that made me fire the person. Um, she was she was very clear. And she was very supportive. And when she heard me doubting myself a lot, she was like, Holly, you just have to choose to back yourself. Like, I can't keep reassuring you. You've got to decide that you're good enough. But she was brilliant at bringing people together. Um, and so I learned a huge amount from her. I loved her style. It was really inclusive, really clear. And she built this fantastic culture. She was called Jill Astorita. Unfortunately, she died a couple of years later from pancreatic cancer. I dedicated my first book to her but I think she she really gave me that example that before then I hadn't seen I hadn't seen anyone I could relate to that led in a way where I thought oh actually I could maybe do that one day and I think that's often an issue is even when we do have female role models we might be there as an introvert looking at an extroverted role model and going well that's what leadership looks like I have to be really out there I have to be able to think really quickly on my feet I have to be totally sure about everything I say and know all the answers when actually what we need is a role model male or female who's introverted um, who has the same thinking style as us so I think sometimes it's useful to have a collection of people and go, actually, I really like what that person does in that way. And I might not be completely like them, but I could do that bit. And I like what that person does, rather than sometimes a role model can occasionally turn into a comparison thing of, oh, well, I'm not as amazing as they are. And actually, what I love is when you have role models, you can have conversations with and you realize, like I said earlier, that their insides are just as messy as everyone else's. So she was my first role model. And I would say from there, I think I've looked to people in different sectors, probably, and sort of seen different bits of inspiration from people. But I am very self-motivated and driven. I don't know where it comes from, probably some inherent need to prove myself. But I have always wanted to make as much impact as possible and have influence. When I first started running my Influence and Impact program, I had a coach who talked to me about powerful women. And I was like, I want to be a powerful woman, but I just feel really uncomfortable with the idea of being a powerful woman. Like the word power to me brings up all these male connotations. What I've always wanted to do is just be able to change things for the better. And so for me, influence and impact really summed that up. So I think I've tried to have a couple of role models, but also some driving principles of what do I want to achieve in work and how can I do more of that? And just at the end of a working day, feel good about how I've spent my time. It's really interesting. And you're, you're actually actively creating role models with the women that you're working with, because they will go on to lead other women in the workplace and they will look up to them in the same way you did. So it's, it's, 
it is it all sort of comes all back to the same thing doesn't it really it does I when I work with people I'm like use these techniques but then teach them to your team like if this is helpful use it with your team and actually the next step in my business is to build a community it's called being bolder together and it doesn't start till April but it's really even more of that women supporting each other because we have all had sadly experiences where it's been some of the women we've worked for that have made us feel terrible about ourselves I don't think we can say just because we're all women that there's solidarity there quite often there's not there's that queen bee syndrome of well I fought really hard to get to the top there's not enough space for lots of us here the air is scarce up here so you can stay down there that does happen a lot and so what I wanted to do is create the opposite of that and I've done it in my programs but I wanted to create it as a permanent community where instead of having like a group of leaders and a group of junior career people you're mixing them together because they can learn just as much from each other and inspire each other and just know that even if you're feeling lonely in the workplace at the moment there are groups exactly like your network that you've got that you can reach out to and get support from other women who will encourage you and be your cheerleaders so yeah my next iteration is to create a group like that which I hope will be an incredible support for women because I think it is so important to get that feedback amongst each other and and you mentioned the network that that is really good about where Lisa Jane was talking as well and we can talk to each other outside of work and if if it could be that something's coming up we're not feeling comfortable about or we're unsure of that we do reassure each other but it's not just it's not just speak it really is about well I've been through this experience and this is how I would have tackled it or that doesn't work for me and I think us as role models also need to look at ourselves and maybe get that feedback sometimes if maybe something's not gone quite right or we haven't behaved in the right manner because it is it is good that we're looking at ourselves as well because we are developing the next workplace of women as well absolutely and I think certainly for me as a white middle-class university educated straight woman there's also a lot to recognize that my experience would be very different from someone that does not have all those advantages. And I think yeah. it's really important. It can be really easy when you're talking about men and women to get very binary about it. And A, gender isn't binary. It's just that lots of the studies are on men and on women. But also recognize that if you are someone who's faced additional barriers from your race or perhaps neurodiversity or class is another huge one they're showing has a big impact, you have additional barriers and something that might work for me might not work for you it might not be safe for you to be as clear in your conversation uh, in certain rooms as it is for me and so I think it's really important to recognize that and as leaders recognize that just because we don't find a particular person challenging or a particular situation challenging doesn't mean that everyone else in our network's experience is the same and so for me that's a, a real learning journey I'm on and I'm I'm trying to read books that challenge my thinking on that in the same way as I'm encouraging men to challenge their own thinking I'm absolutely trying to challenge my own thinking on that as well and everyone feels some form of bias don't they within their their careers and in the workplace yeah apparently there's something like 200 different biases that exist I interviewed someone on my podcast who was working on AI to do with recruitment and removing those biases so we we all have bias um, that's just part of being human but when we recognize that it's at play then the onus is on us to try and overcome that and to even out the playing field so we've um we've got another theme that we run through our podcast and these are the uh, WTF moments so they they can be shocking funny whatever and we've shared a few, Karen and I, over the podcast. And I was just trying to think of some moments that I've had that have been like, sorry, what? Um, and we're sort of talking about, like, obviously your career and your progression. And it, but it got me thinking back to when I first sort of got into the role in refrigeration. And I was just at the beginning of my journey. And I was always brought on as a technical person. So that was my role. I wasn't there as um, in a support role, whatever it was, to actually apply the product. And um, my boss at the time, he was an elderly gentleman and he probably should have retired, but he used to come and sit on my desk and dictate the emails that he wanted sending. And I used to just do it. And when I think back, you know, that wasn't part of my role, but that was kind of just that accepted behaviour. And we're talking about, you know, back in a time when people used to smoke in the office, you know, it was a very different environment. I wonder if you had anything like that. And it, it could just be like a single occurrence or, you know, something funny, something shocking um, in your career that you think back to. 
Um, and I remember, I remember those days as well. And my my boss used to sit and smoke next to me. And I was <laughs> like, wow, really? But yeah, I mean, I had a lot of those moments working with a lot of older trustees on fundraising. So men in their 60s and 70s. I think, um, I guess there were a couple. One was a specific career one where I was thinking of going for a direct, my first director role. And I've been doing most of the role already. I had a chief exec actually that was new, but I really, really liked him. And I said, I asked him, should I apply for this role? And he said, well, you're too young and too female to be taken seriously by that group of people. Um, and he thought he was being really helpful because he was telling me, actually, that is the reality from his perspective and from many of their perspectives. And I just went and became a director elsewhere. And it didn't surprise me, actually. And that's the sad thing is particularly for those of us who, who have been working for a few decades now, we are used to that environment. But I look back and I'm like, that was just such a such a waste and then the other thing that used to really annoy me is I would work with a lot of consultants and donors and trustees men in their 50s and I was a woman in my 20s and we always had to do the kissing hello thing mm -hmm. um, and I'm very much this is my space that's your space but I still had to you know and the hugs that lasted too long and you know nothing that was it just made me feel uncomfortable even though it was probably quite innocent with most of them it was just like why am I having to get up close and personal with these men who were 30 years older than me and go out for dinners and stuff with them as part of my role and be charming and funny why can't I just be really good at what I do and not have to do that so for me that's annoying I still think that's annoying and COVID maybe has changed that so that we don't have to hug and kiss random older people that we don't know but yeah I've always felt quite uncomfortable with that I do remember one of my first ever customer visits as a, a sales person within our industry. And yeah, that was the first thing I remember on Oxford Street and walking up with my hand ready to shake hands. And it was kind of pulled in for a big kiss. And I'd never met this person before. I was just randomly, I think it stuck with me for the first hour of meeting of that was weird. But you're right, you just did it because it was a, his form of greeting. But yeah, I'm sure he didn't do that with his last sales rep who <laughs> was male exactly. yeah and then you never know if it's one kiss or two and then that's awkward as well it's like <laughs> really messy so um yeah let's just not kiss each other in the workplace how's that for an idea you just made me think about at the beginning of covid I saw some companies that were putting like wristbands in so you could say like I really don't want anybody near me or yeah I'm okay to shake hands and, like maybe we could just have something like that because I'm sure some people have got where they like that and then there are other people like I've had a friend that really like you never hug her and we've been friends really close for years and you just don't she doesn't want it so it'd be nice if we could all have something like that that just says yeah you know I, I'm all right for that and no please leave me alone <laughs> yeah absolutely or even just using your judgment and going is this someone where there is a big difference in in power uh, there's a difference in gender there's a big difference in age or physical size well maybe I'll just like let them decide that they can come to me if they want to do that I know some people are very tactile but we don't need to be tactile in the workplace and I think that's it isn't it in the workplace and I think there's people that you've worked with for a long time that are social engagement or that you are comfortable but um yeah no very strange <laughs> so yeah I would say those are the, the my uh W2TF moments have you had any embarrassing moments as well? I mean, I've, I've talked quite a few times about walking about with my skirt tucked into my underpants. Um, there's been a few things like that, like missing the last step when the foyer is full of people and, you know, falling down. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment like that where you just wish you weren't there? I think my most embarrassing one was it wasn't public, but it was I, I remember just burning up with shame. So uh, I had had an email from someone um, who was being a bit unreasonable they were like a donor I think um so someone who gave money to the charity they were being quite unreasonable in their demands and this email chain had been going on for a while and it was copying in some of my colleagues and I forwarded it to a colleague basically being quite harsh about this person I mean thankfully I didn't swear but I was basically totally berating how this person was doing things and of course I didn't forward it to my colleague I'd replied to that person and I was I mean I still feel embarrassed now um and and I you couldn't get it back like it'd been too long before yeah. I realized couldn't get it back and so then you had someone quite quickly going 
really sorry that was unprofessional just having a terrible day and um, that person didn't really speak to us again after that which is fair enough but since then I've had a golden rule never put anything in writing that you wouldn't want the person to see and um, because you just don't know when you're going to accidentally send it I mean luckily only my colleagues knew and no one more senior than me really clocked it um but yeah that one wrong press of the button and I was just completely humiliated and embarrassed <laughs> I, I often do sit there saying the name of the person I'm sending the email to over and over again just to make sure I am definitely sending it to the right person because um, yeah I think we've all been in that position but um, I think the most important you addressed it and you didn't just kind of leave it out there to kind of fester it is do you know what I'm having a bad day we all have them and this happened and yeah maybe you were being slightly unreasonable. <laughs> I think we all make mistakes don't we? Um, yeah. I think as a leader, it's really important that people see that you make mistakes as well and that you own up to them and you show how you've learned from them. Um, and yeah, that that was a big enough one for me that I have never, ever written anything on the email before that I wouldn't want someone to see. Like if I need to complain about something, I will pick up the phone. I just won't put it in writing just in case. And I think always remember to hang up the phone because I did that as a very, very, very young person in the office and referred to someone in quite a bad way and he rang back and said I heard that and the only way I could respond was well you were being a bit like that anyway <laughs> and kind of had to laugh it all off but yeah it was hadn't quite hung up the old-fashioned phone <laughs> yeah I think I've done that as well yeah I think probably we all have to be fair or I've also had it when we've had headsets when you've accidentally answered it too quickly and you've gone oh my god it's so and so like oh no <laughs> yeah, I was actually on a call the other day I, I joined a course and it isn't the right course for me and someone was talking um and I was like really because I was on my own in my room no one could hear me and then I realized I'd come onto the call and it had it wasn't muted um and I just really hope I didn't say it say it loudly <laughs> but he says something I was like really and it's like oh the mute's not pressed <laughs> <laughs> to do that quickly that was embarrassing that's brilliant um so we know you've got a podcast could you tell us a little bit about about the podcast so where we can find it um how we can listen yeah, absolutely so it's called influence and impact it's aimed at female leaders um we're actually going to rebrand that so it's going to be for all women in the workplace but at the moment it's called influence and impact for female leaders we have got, I think, 125 episodes now. So sometimes it's me uh, talking on confidence, assertiveness, leadership, influence. And then I have guests on talking about topics that aren't discussed as much in the workplace as they should be. So we were talking about menopause, for example, about a year before it became trendy. Um, thank goodness to talk about menopause in the workplace. But we talk about neurodiversity, fertility at work, anything that can really impact us. And we, I try and take it from two perspectives. You might be an individual, for example, who um, is going through menopause, or you might be a leader um, and leading people who are going through menopause. So we try and take it from those both those two perspectives. Um, we've just hit 100,000 downloads um, and it comes out fortnightly now. So do go and check that out if you we try and make it super super practical so hopefully it's very human and very honest and approachable I definitely don't pretend to have the perfect answer to everything or to have had the perfect career um I think by being human and approachable we show that you don't have to be perfect or superhuman to be a really good leader or be really good at your job so yeah there's that and then I also have my book which is called Closing the Influence Gap a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard that was an Amazon bestseller which is great and Management Today said it was one of the best books for leaders in 2022 um so that's got everything if, if you're thinking oh I want more of this that's a really practical place to get all of that I've designed it basically like a handbook um and then I have a couple of courses that if people want to work on their confidence and assertiveness, there's Be Bolder, which is a four week course for women at all levels that starts in March. And then I also have Influence and Impact, which is for leaders. That's a three month women's leadership development program. So, yeah, there's lots of different ways, depending on what your budget is and how much support and help you want. No budget. Go to the podcast. Bit of budget, buy a book. Bit more, invest in a course. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm feeling really inspired. So I'm definitely going to go and check your book out. I love reading. So it's, it's perfect for me. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for having me. 
Oh, thank you for your time. I know you must be really busy. You seem to do a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm also a solo parent to a five-year-old, so I balance the two of them. Um, but I'm lucky. I feel so lucky to do the work that I do and to now have it at a stage where I could do the work that I do and not be worried about how I'm going to pay the bills every month. So I feel very lucky. But, it yeah, is it's rewarding, really isn't it, to, to support others and see other people to, to build that confidence and yeah to be able to apply for the job that they want to and not just kind of knock themselves back really it is and like you say like women like you you're doing that for the women that are coming up um earlier in their careers as well just by watching you by listening to your podcasts by attending events at the network they see what's possible for them and be inspired by you so I think we're all inspiring other people without realizing it and I think recognizing that helps us to show up better as well yeah, we definitely encourage, you know, all women in our industry to get involved. And actually, we, we have male members in our committee and we encourage them to come along as well. Um, it's, it's just good to get to know how everybody else is feeling and what everybody else is doing and what issues they might have. And that is what we aim to do in the network is to, to talk about the burning issues and support each other. I love it. So glad it exists. Well, thank you so much, Carla. Thanks again, Lisa Jane. Always good to spend time just having a chat between us. Just for everyone, this podcast will be available on the IOR website, um, but also the series at Podbean. Um, please keep an eye out for social media posts as well, where you can listen again and see what's next, but also share with your colleagues. Um, and I think finally, just to mention the network is just please come and find us at the LinkedIn group, uh, which is IOR Women in RACHP. Help to spread the um, network, which is now award winning as well. Um, and if you are interested in getting more involved with what we're doing within the industry, but also if you're considering becoming a member of the IOR, then please do reach out to myself, Lisa Jane or the group as a whole and there's so many people there that can support and to network with as well and and just talk about anything really I think we're happy to see people develop and move on with their careers but thank you both very much it's been a lovely morning thanks Karen Music.